Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. Now, um, if you are eager beaver and you've got your Bible or your phone and you want to go and read with us today, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. We're going to be in Daniel 7. It's not going to be the only verse that we read today. And you don't have to chase them all down. But Daniel 7 is where our primary reading is going to be from today. Now, some of you may be very confused because what we've been doing as a series is walking through the life and death of Christ. And so we started with Jesus in the wilderness. And we talked about how Jesus modeled what we all need as Christians. Every Christian needs a wilderness. We need a wilderness, one, so that we can know God. Um, we are prideful people. And we don't recognize God's goodness innately. So sometimes we have to go through some stuff to be broken, to be molded, so that God can begin showing himself to us and we can begin knowing him, not about him, but knowing him personally. Two, for those who's in faith, we need to grow in our faith. Did you get it back up? Cool. I like it. See how long it lasts, but yeah, sounds great. <laughs> you're fine. Um, but we need to grow in our faith. So those of us who are early believers, one of the things we see is there's a pattern of this. And this is what happens, and maybe it happened in your life, it certainly happened in mine. Uh, I came to faith, and by that I mean I finally submitted to God. I finally said, I've had enough, I can't do this anymore, you can have this mess I've made, maybe you can do something with it. And God began molding me, and there was a fire and a hunger, and I began wanting to go to things and attend things and learn things, and then some stuff happened some difficult things, and for the first time I felt like, all right, maybe it isn't all sunshines and rainbows. Maybe it isn't this easy life that I thought it was going to be. Maybe my joy is just, maybe my faith isn't enough. And what you find is that God meets you in those moments, and you become strengthened. You begin to have places you can look back in your life and go, man, I remember when God showed up there. I remember when God moved a mountain for me. I remember when God split a sea for me. That's, and we need that. That's how our faith grows. And then we have to learn. We have to go through wildernesses so we can go through go with power. We don't know what we're capable of. We don't know what the Holy Spirit's capable through us until we've been through some things. We've we haven't overcome anything. We don't know we can overcome anything. So our wildernesses are for that. The, other, the next week we went into Jesus on the Mount and we talked about this big passage called the Sermon on the Mount and we really focused on what it was Jesus was trying to get across. And it was Jesus telling us what the new covenant was. And in this new covenant, <clears throat> Jesus is calling all of his followers to, one, live set aside. We don't like that word holy, but that's what he was saying. Hey, you're set aside. You're different. You should be in the world, but you shouldn't be of it. The way people look at you, the way you treat people, sometimes we get caught up in our behavior. We're like, oh, man, I've got to act a certain way. No, man, you, you've got to be a certain way. Like, the way you love people should be so evident. The way you love God should be so evident that people go, man, I, that guy's different. That, that girl's different. What's, what's so different about them? The next one is we're to live as Christ teaches. And we go through, we talked about how one of my favorite things that I picked up that week was Jesus loves simplicity. See, if you look at 
what God did. God gave us 10 commandments, and out of those 10 commandments came 266 rules that Jewish people, the Jewish priests held you to. It made it complicated. Jesus comes and takes those 10 commandments and makes them two. Love God and love one another. Jesus is all about some simple. And we're to follow him. We're to, to do the things he teaches us. Not get caught up in all these other arbitrary rules, but to do the things he teaches us. And then we need to live through the Holy Spirit. One of the things that we often forget is we are not capable of being good. We are not capable of living a good life without the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit's not in us, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I naturally want to be angry a lot. It is, I, I struggle with it. My father was that way, his father was that way, and probably his father was that way. But I catch myself now going, I don't have to be that. But I'm not capable of that on my own. My natural response might be that, to be angry, but I don't have to. But it's not my own accord that I adjust. It's because the Holy Spirit lays it on my heart. Like, you don't have to be that today. That's not what God made you for. That's not how he made you. And you can be better. And then last week, we spent some time talking about the transfiguration. Um, and I know many people are like, man, that's, that's such a weird topic because it's just a small little segment. It doesn't seem connected to anything. But we talked about the importance of it, what Jesus was saying. And <clears throat> the three things we pulled from that transfiguration was, one, that Jesus came to suffer first. And then he, came, he overcame suffering for us. And that he will come again in full glory. And transfiguration is just a very condensed version of that. It shows that there is glory, but his glory isn't, it wasn't then. He didn't come glorified first. Because if Jesus had come glorified first, that means he came judging first. And it's, the transfiguration was a reminder of, hey, I came to suffer for your sake first. Because if I had come first in my full glory, the only thing I could bring with me is justice. So today we're going to talk about another unusual topic, and I have enjoyed this topic tremendously, and I hate that we don't have three hours of a seminar to talk about it. So um, I promise I'll keep it condensed. I have a clock now, so you're lucky there. We don't have to worry about me running over. But we're going to talk about one of Jesus's personal titles for himself, and it's called the Son of Man. Of all the titles given to Jesus, it's the one we use less, the least, so the least used title by Christians for Jesus is the Son of Man. Um, yeah, I want to I point out this, and this blew my mind. The Gospels reference Jesus as the Son of Man 88 times. That's a lot of times. 88 times. So why don't we use that title? Like, what's the deal? Like, why shouldn't we call, like, why aren't we calling Jesus the Son of Man? Well, there, there's a couple of reasons for this. One, it doesn't have the same meaning for us as it did for the Jewish people in the, uh, the near ancient East. Uh, near East. Um, at that time, that made sense. Like, they understood what you were talking about. It was like, in, in some ways, have you ever tried to explain an inside joke? You know how it doesn't really come off very funny once you've explained the inside joke? Like, it, only the people who are inside of that get it well that's essentially the same thing we just don't get it we're not in on the joke so my job today i'm just going to do the best i can to get you guys wrapped around what this title is i'm going to have both um, ryan and mark come down they're going to read two passages today one of them if you've already turned to it john's actually trying to get it to work good um, one of them uh, is going to be in mark 20 17 through 19 you don't necessarily need to bring it up and then we're going to read Daniel 7. 
right after that. While going up to Jerusalem, Jesus took the 12 disciples aside privately and said to them upon the way, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and here's the summary of his account. Daniel said, In my vision at night I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was a lion, but had eagle's wings. I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, and given a human mind. Suddenly another beast appeared, a second one, that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, gorge yourself on flesh. After this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared. It was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads, and it was given dominion. After this, while I was watching in the night visions, suddenly a fourth beast appeared, frightening and dreadful, and incredibly strong with large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed, and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different from all the beasts before it, and it had ten horns. While I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And suddenly in this horn there were eyes, like the eyes of a human, and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. As I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head was like the whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from its presence. Thousands upon thousands served him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was convened, and the books were opened. I watched. Then, because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking, as I continued watching, the beast were killed and its body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that, those of ever, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. The word of God. Thank you, Mark. All right, so I know that the Daniel passage is very long, and there's a lot of crazy in it. Um, but there is, I mean, let's be honest, like there's beasts and there's horns and there's an ancient of days and his whole setup's on fire. His throne and his wheels are on fire, which is very confusing. Um, and so it, it's very, it, it matters though because you see in there a reference to Son of Man. And that Daniel 7 is the inside joke that we don't get. It's the inside comment that Jesus is constantly pointing to. Um, 
And so hopefully today you'll be able to wrap your head around some of it because it's a lot. Um, first, though, let's start with this. What is Jesus' last name? Does anyone know? Huh? Man? Uh, anyone else? Anyone else got a guess? The Messiah? Okay, anyone else? Oh, you know what it is. You're going to want to say Christ. I know you are, but you're like, wait, maybe. So um, fun etymology. I like words. So um, this is the fun part. So we've talked about this just a touch before, but Jesus' name in the Hebrew Bible uh, and in, in the translating Greek is uh, Yeshua HaMashiach, right? The little at the end, uh, which is fun. Um, what's cool is the word HaMashiach is translated in two directions, and I got really geeky about this, so hang on. Um, the English pronunciation of HaMashiach from Hebrew is Messiah. What? <laughs> I know, like, how does it, the way the words look, you can kind of see it. It's like, all right, like, if I was just looking at it randomly, I could be like, yeah, that looks like, I guess, Messiah. What the Greek happened is, the Greeks translated into Christos, which became Christ. And we use both interchangeably, and which is mind-boggling. But in a sense, it makes sense, because Jesus is always referred to as, with the article, the specific Messiah. But here's what blew my mind. Hamashiach is actually used regularly in the Hebrew Bible. And it's actually used, uh, one, this is my favorite, the literal translation means oiled one, or one covered in oil, which is weird. I'm just going to put it out there. Like, it's like, okay, um, Jesus is covered in oil. All right. Um, but here's the reality. Like, there were only two kinds, of, and it was very specific. There's only two people who could be Hamashiach, anointed. And that were kings and high priests, and that was it. So, Jesus is often referred to this by other people. There are a lot of people like, aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you, aren't you the Christ? Um, he gets accused of this frequently, and he avoids it. Like He actually won't say it. He's like, no, 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 I don't like it. Why? Why is this? Well, I wanted to point you to a passage in Matthew. Matthew, it's going to be Matthew 28, 64. Now that our screen's working, I'll, I'll point you through it there. Um, but this is, just a quick reference, this is when Jesus is in front of Caiaphas, who is also a Hamashiach, a Hamashiach, an anointed one. He's the high priest in Jerusalem. And Jesus is standing there, and he's being charged. This is, the, this is during the court trial that leads to his Roman trial, which will lead to his crucifixion. And so they're accusing Jesus, and it says, But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath. By the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus' response is, you've said it. So he's like, I mean, you said it. But Jesus says this, but I tell you, in the future you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, there is so much weird happening in that statement. Uh, so much weird and we don't get it because we didn't grow up memorizing the entire Torah. Uh, we just didn't. That's not our thing. Um, but I promise you, the high priest and all of his other priest friends, they got it. They knew exactly what he was saying. And the biggest point of reference he's pointing to is in Daniel 7. He's pointing to the, the one like son of man. Um, Jesus referencing that is an absolute slap in the face to these guys. That's why the next comment out of Caiaphas' mouth is he's a blasphemer. 
You don't even need any more evidence. You heard it from his mouth. He's blaspheming because of how important that Son of Man title was. So <clears throat> why does Jesus keep embracing this Son of Man title? Well, here's a couple of things. One, I wanted to ask you a question about this just to get thinking about the importance of references and how we look at our Bible. Um, I want you to think about moments in your life. Well, it could be from entertainment, but it could actually be moments in history and culture that if I say something, you know immediately what I'm talking about. So I'm going to give you some examples. All right, we're going to start with, with one that's a little closer to us. If I said World Trade Center, what am I thinking about? 9-11. All of us know it, right? So if I say Twin Towers, and you know, the, you, know, you know. I don't have to make another reference. What if I say one small step for man? Moon landing, right? Okay, all right, we're good. Uh, what if I go, I am your father? Star Wars. Yes, see? Max, I missed you last week, man. I just want you to know that. All right, last one. This is for the ladies. What if I say glass slipper? Oh, <laughs> Cinderella, Cinderella. Right, okay. So we all have those references. Every culture does, and so did they. When Jesus was saying son of man, everybody knew what he was talking about. They're like, oh, 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 da Daniel said that. Oh, oh, oh. All right, Daniel 7 was like their, their superhero stories, right? That's what they were, and they would, they would tell them these stories. It was a story of hope. It was a story of, of, of it was, one, it's crazy. I mean, it sounds like, like a lucid dream, and in some ways it was. But, I mean, you see in Daniel 7, he talks about, one, the ancient of days, right? Like this mysterious Yahweh, you know? Um, it talks about these beasts that are oppressing mankind, and there is a huge rabbit hole you can follow for days on that one. Um, but then there's this reference to one like a son of man. Now, in all the other times that son of man is used throughout uh, the Old Testament, it is very much referencing humankind. If you break down the word and you think about, like, how does that sound, son of man, man being human. So you're a son slash daughter, it works that way, of humans. That's what you are. And it's a reference to humankind. The only time that it's used for another specific person is one other time, and it's in Ezekiel, and it is Ezekiel. And God calls Ezekiel, son of man, over and over, in a derogatory sense, like, you're just the son of man. I'm God, and you're a son of man, over and over again. And there are many references to son of man, but this is the only time where it says one like the son of man, a son of man. And it's referencing this very mysterious person. In fact, I'm going to point you to verse 14, where it talks about what's going to happen to the Son of Man. It says, one, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language could serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Now, we've heard, if you've read your Bible some, You've probably heard some of this language used before, right? That whole every tribe, right? Every, every country, nation, tongue. You've, for those of you who are a little familiar, that's Revelation 7. At the end of time, all these people from every language are going to praise God. Worship leaders love it because then they talk about how beautiful it's going to be. But just in general, it's a beautiful picture of what Christ's second coming is going to be. And then this everlasting kingdom, right? This kingdom that won't be destroyed we see, God, we see Christ mentioning this regularly. We see it in the ap uh, apocalyptic kind of language over and over again. And there's some <clears throat> interesting things that every 
Jewish man, woman, and child would have recognized these references. These aren't new things. Um, they were taught not only in the Old Testament, but they were also taught in like the non-canonical Jewish literature. Okay? Um, there's a lot of these things. Like There's a book of Enoch, there's, and if you want to go and dive down those, by all means, do it. It's, really, it's useful to understand their culture. Um, they're referenced through the teachings specifically of rabbis, priests, and scribes. They are, uh, there's a continuous focus on this because you've got to remember, where, where, has, where has been, where have the Jewish people been for the last 500 years? They've been constantly under the oppression of somebody. Some empire has been oppressing them for a good part of 500 years. And so they keep coming back to Daniel saying, saying look, there's hope. There's, there's, a, there's someone like a son of man coming. And he's going to have dominion. He's going to have power and authority. It's going to be awesome. And this is what Jesus is pointing at over and over with this. You see, the Messiah slash Christ, that Hamashiach, there's men who could be Hamashiach. David was Hamashiach. He was anointed. Saul, Saul was Hamashiach. Ezekiel was Hamashiach. All, there was a lot. As a matter of fact, Caiaphas was a Hamashiach character. He had been anointed to the position. But there was only one son of man. There was only one. So here's the real question, though. Why does any of that matter? Like, how should this affect your thought process of who Jesus is? Well, there's several reasons for this imagery. I can't list all of them, so I'm going to give you some of the big ones. So the first is that Jesus had no interest in earthly glory. That's why he avoided the whole Messiah thing. He's like, that's not, I, you guys, I'm, you're right, but you're not right. You ever been half right? You know what I mean? Like, you're like, you're right, but you're also very wrong. Like, you're using the word, but you're not using it properly. Like, you don't understand it. Um, and that's what's happening. Jesus, they're calling Jesus the Messiah, but in their heads, they're thinking the anointed one like a king. And they want to place him in an earthly kingly position. And Jesus is like, whoa, no, you're, you're reading from the wrong book. You need to go to Daniel 7. That's the book I'm coming from. And they're like, you mean the one with the weird three-horned beast and all these things going on? Jesus is also highlighting the humanness of his being. And this is important because, remember, we talked about in all the stories, all the mythologies at the time, there's a ton of paganism. The one thing that was really hard to wrap your head around was the fact that God would ever come down and become man. He would never lower himself to a position. That doesn't happen. But Jesus is emphasizing that. He's like, I am lowering myself into this lowly position. I was up here. I was in the presence and part of the Trinity God. But now, I'm also here. And I'm going to experience all of this with you. I am going to walk through. Because over and over again, what you see the Son of Man reference does is there's a failure to be a proper Son of Man. And that was really interesting. And hopefully we'll talk about it some on the podcast because there's not, there's not enough time. But Adam was the original Son of Man. And he failed. And then there was Noah, and then he failed. And then there was Abraham, well, he failed. And then Isaac, and he failed. And Jacob, he failed. And over and over, we see failure to be a proper son of man until Jesus. And Jesus comes and properly fulfills this role. That's the other part that he's doing with the son of man. He's also highlighting his godliness. Note that in Daniel, it talks about him being 
in front of the ancient of days. And what does he do? He is given a throne. He is given glory. He is lifted up above all else. And everybody is worshiping him and praising him. And that's a uniqueness thing. Not only is he fully human, he's also fully God. And that is, you talk about hard things to wrap your head around, right? We've talked about the difficulty of that. To hold those two concepts together is not literally not feasible in this form. Because again, if you could imagine God fully, he isn't worth worshiping. He isn't worth worshiping. So then Jesus is also doing one more thing, and this is key, I think, for us, is that there is a coming glory. We oftentimes, especially this time of year, we'll start talking about the resurrection, and we'll talk about his crucifixion, and we'll, I mean, there's whole plays that happen where they're, like, really giving you the imagery, and, like, we get hung up in that. And it's easy because it's real. We can wrap our heads around the realness of what happened to Jesus, and, and it's important for us to, to remember how much it costs for us to, to have salvation. But there's also an important note that we have to remember is Jesus is coming again. The transfiguration points straight to the Son of Man. The Son of Man thing points to it again. And there's this awesome understanding that Jesus is coming again. For the Jewish people, this was super hard because they only thought that the Messiah, right, the the Son of Man would come once. That's all they had in their head. He's going to come the one time. And Jesus was like, no, no, you missed it. (laughs) If I came, like we talked about before, if I came only once, then all you could have is justice. And as much as we think we want that, we don't. Because justice demands that we are punished. That's what that means. God's a just God. That doesn't change. He doesn't overlook our sins. Our sins get paid for because Jesus came twice. So now here's the real sticking point of all this. As we walk through it, it's like, so what does that mean today? So we see how it interacted with the Jewish people, but what does that mean for me when I walk out these doors for the rest of the week? Well, the first thing is that you get assurance. You receive assurance. The the assurance is this. Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus referencing the Son of Man over and over again is just another pointing to the prophecy of who he was. The Bible is a large book, 66 books written over thousands and thousands of years, multiple authors. It was re-recorded and re-recorded and re-recorded just to keep it in the condition that it is. And in that, there are countless miracles of prophecy pointing at Jesus, telling over and over for years to come, trying to alert the Jewish people that the Son of Man, the one like the Son of Man, was coming. That's what the reference is partially doing for us today. It's an assurance. I can trust this. This happened. Hundreds of years before he came, there was a man who had this crazy dream and wrote it down. And it points to this beautiful picture of a Savior who's coming. The second part is it gives us hope that Jesus is coming again. There's hope there. Because if the way that the Jewish tradition would have had it is Jesus comes and everybody but the Jewish people get judged. Everybody who's not the lineage of Abraham would find judgment. Thankfully, we, that's not the hope, but we have a different hope. We have a hope that all people can find salvation, that all people who can commit their lives, who follow after Jesus, who, who give up their hopes and desires and, and follow after the will of God can do that, who can find salvation. 
that we serve a God who loves us enough that he doesn't just quarantine the majority of the population to decide. So there's a hope there. The last one, and this is important because I think it continues to point at something that's bigger, is that it should give us a desire to reach others. And there's a two-part to this. One, Jesus is coming again, and this time there will be judgment. See, the first time he came, he brought salvation with him. And we should rejoice that and celebrate it, and we will do that. We've got three weeks before Easter, so we're going to be celebrating, and it's going to be it's awesome. But there should also be the reality that he is coming again, and with that comes judgment. And so we don't like that word, that judgment word, because it's scary. And it should, it should cause some fear. Because I don't know about you, but I have loved ones in my life that I worry about. I have loved ones in my life who I don't know what's going to happen at the, end, at the end of their days, whether Jesus comes or they find the grave first. I don't know. And that, that, that scares me. But it also, in me, creates a compassion. I need to love these people, and I need to share with them what God's doing in my life. I need to, to trust God and pray for them regularly. God, change their heart. Soften their heart. Give me opportunities. Put people around them. Have Christians love on them. Something. I mean, blind them on the way to Damascus if you got to, but do something, you know? It should put a compassion in my heart for lost people. But there's also another part to this, which I think is interesting, is that it should also put a desire in our hearts to live as Christ did, to live as a fully human person and to br- draw people to live that way. Here's, here's something interesting, and again, I don't have the time, but it is very interesting, is that the Son of Man's reference with all of these beasts, all of these beasts over and over, and there's this common, we, the word beast actually is, we just translated that way from the, uh, the King James, but it just means animals. <laughs> it's straightforward. But there's this interesting thing that happens is that in the garden, God gave man dominion over the beast, right? We were separate, and we had dominion over them. And then the fall happens, right? But our true nature was to have dominion over the animals, to be set apart from the animals. Well, the problem is is that we quickly become like the animals. We give into our desires, we become thoughtless, we're frivolous with human life. And that reference to beast over and over again, and you see it all throughout all the apocalyptic-type writings, whether it be Daniel, whether it be Isaiah, whether it be the Revelations, is actually pointing at human people acting unhuman, inhumane, if you will. What Christ is calling us to is to live fully human. Christ, you're an image-bearer of God, so live like a human. Live lovingly. Live with grace. Live with forgiveness. Live in unity with one another. Restore the creation that I made for you. Like, that's what you're supposed to be a part of. And that call is two parts, one for us and one for the world. For us, it's, it's a challenge, right? In, in a sense, it's, it's I'm being challenged to a better purpose. I don't have to be this anger-fueled animal who can't control himself, right? I don't have to be that. But the other part is, is that there are people out there who are miserably living that way. They're living like animals. And they've never experienced what the freedom of living like a human is. To live like Christ has created us, intended us to be. And that's our charge. And so that reference to the Son of Man has a whole lot in there, right? Like I told you, it's like, it's a big bite. But it means more than just a, fan, a weird title. 
It's far more than just humanness. But it's Christ laying down this wonderful roadmap for us. Live like me. Follow me. I'll show you what it looks like to live in full humanness. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed weekend.